If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. We are coming very close to an end of our study of the book of Genesis. And if you are new to the Bible, or if it's been a long time since you have picked one up, it might be helpful to know that the chapter numbers, those large numbers, are the chapter divisions, and the small numbers that you see in the text, those are the verse divisions. And we are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 49, and we'll be beginning our study in verse 16 this morning. And in the coming weeks, we have another school year that is starting Another host of challenges that are on the horizon for, for students, yes, but for parents, for teachers, for all those who are involved in it. But challenges do not just come during the school year. They come at any time and at any age. And we have, each of us, our own set of challenges and obstacles and things that are besetting us, things that lie before us that are hard and difficult. And yet, we have, each of us, various strengths, various abilities, various gifts that we have been able through our lives. We have learned how to leverage those gifts, leverage those abilities to push through hardship. Perhaps perhaps we are wise and able to navigate certain questions with ease. Perhaps we have learned that if we will just work hard enough, we can get through most obstacles, most difficulties. Perhaps we have learned if we will just take some time, think about something, get some good counsel, we can navigate an issue. What we find in our text today is that Jacob is continuing to bless his 12 sons. You remember that Jacob does have 12 sons by four different women. Two of them are his wives. Two of them were by what we would call, the, 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 in the Bible times, they called his concubines. That is, they were, they were le- he was legally bound to them, but they weren't quite on the status of his wives. And last week we looked at the first, his blessings on the first six of his sons. That is, his, the blessings that he gave to his first, to the sons of his first wife, Leah. And this week we are going to look on the remainder of his sons from verses 15, 16 rather, all the way to the end of verse 28. And as Jacob is blessing his sons, we we saw last week that these blessings that he has given, this blessing is an important blessing. And it was not only important, it was prophetic. Jacob is speaking about not only, these are the blessings I'm giving you, this is an inheritance, it's not so much that, it's more of, this is what you will face, this is what will be, this is what you will have in the future. This is what you will experience And what we find is that this future is a contested future. All throughout the remainder of this passage, verse 16 forward, there is hints that there is going to be, that there are going to be problems, that there is going to be conflict that these brothers face, that his sons and their tribes face. We see this again and again. 
We saw this hinted at in verses 14 and 15 with Issachar. He is going to be enslaved. Dan himself is going to be like a serpent in the grass. He's going to strike at the heels of his enemies. Gad, the tribe of Gad, is going to be raided, and he in turn is going to raid. Benjamin is like a wolf. He is going out to war. We have these pictures of warfare all throughout. Clearly, the the future that Jacob is foreseeing and here foretelling is not one of ease and comfort. It is one of conflict. It is one of hardship. God has promised the people of Israel, he promised Jacob that his sons would re- that their tribes would return to the land of Israel, to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. And in returning to that land, they would have to displace the peoples that were there currently. In an act of international justice, the people of Canaan were so corrupt that the Lord had told Abraham a century before they are going to be so corrupt that the only thing to do would be to drive them out. These people, the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel, they must enter the land of Canaan and they must fight for it. This is going to be a contested future. But despite the fact that, they're, that they are going to face obstacles and hardship in their future, in the future of the tribes, just as you and I face daily, weekly, year by year, yet the Lord gives, through Jacob, great promises. And then he points them, as he now points us, to their great hope. So before we jump into studying his word this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer, asking the Lord for his mercy on us as we study his word. Father in heaven, we pray, O Lord, that you would help us this morning to be not only hearers of your word, but to be doers. That even as we are confronted by your word, that we pray your spirit will convict us by what your word declares. And that we, oh God, we would respond with humility, repentance, and faith in you. Work according to your grace in Christ Jesus in us, oh Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. We see this bright future, beginning with Dan, the tribe of Dan, verse 16. Dan is not only the name of one of Jacob's sons, but it is also the name of the tribe that will flow from him. And we are told, Dan, this tribe, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backwards. Dan, we are told, he is going to act as one of the tribes of Israel. And this is the first time in all of Scripture that we find this phrase, one of the tribes of Israel, or the tribes of Israel. Here, in Dan, he is the first one listed as one of the tribes. Here we are told, this is 
these people, these, these men, are not only going to have large families, but that these large families will then have many descendants and will produce tribes. Large groups of people that will be within this unit. And I, I don't think this is by accident that Dan is chosen. I think it's significant Dan is the first son of one of the concubines. That is, he is, he is not one of Jacob's, uh, not one of the sons of Jacob from one of his more favored wives. He's not from the wife, he's not, his mother is not Leah, nor is his mother Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He is one of the sons of Jacob's concubines. And if any of these sons would have felt like they, they didn't deserve to be on equal standing with the other tribes, if, if any tribe is of lower standing, maybe Dan and some of these other tribes would feel like that. But that is not what they are. They, he is one of the tribes. He is equal with them all. And more than this, we are told that he shall judge his people. He will lead. He will deliver justice. Dan is one of the leader tribes in, in the book of Numbers. When the people of Israel set out, they set out in groups of four. And Dan is one of the leaders of his group of four. And his method of fighting is going to be like a serpent along the road. And we tend to think of snakes as evil creatures. But the picture here is that a serpent along the road, imagine you are riding a horse... And as you're riding a horse down the trail, there is a serpent hidden by the side and it jumps out unforeseen and bites the horse. And the picture is, though Dan himself will be attacked, he he may appear insignificant, yet he is going to attack effectively. He is not going to fight with, rather he is not going to judge like, with large armies. In fact, the best picture we have of this is the judge from the tribe of Dan, Samson himself. Many of the other judges, the deliverers in the time of the judges, when they delivered, you will remember, God would call them and then they would gather an army. And they might call the, for help from other tribes. Come, gather your armies with us and we will drive out those who are oppressing us. Samson's not like that. Samson, he works behind the scenes. He's more of an annoyance for a while than he is anything else. He tears the gates off of city at one point. He destroys thousands when they come up against him. He never raises an army. He always acts alone. And though he is beaten at one point, yet at the very end of his life, He is brought out into the temple of the gods of the people of Canaan and there he brings down the house. And we are told that he in his death killed more Philistines, killed more of the enemies of God's people than he had in his entire life. Dan is a picture of this. He is that that snake, insignificant on the side, but it comes and it attacks and it is effective in its attack. Next, we see the tribe of Gad. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Gad will be raided, but he will raid others. 
He himself will experience many attacks, but he will attack those who attack him. And the tribe of Gad, we find after they after they the exodus when they enter the the land of Canaan, Gad chooses not to live within the land of Canaan, but to live on the eastern side of the river Jordan, outside the land of Canaan, which exposes the tribe of Gad to countless raids. They will be raided. A troop shall tramp upon him. And yet, despite the fact that they are raided again and again and again, rather than weakening Gad, it has the opposite effect of hardening him, of hardening this tribe, making them a a war-ready tribe. This is a tribe that is always ready to go to war. We are told repeatedly throughout the Old Testament of their great warriors. First Chronicles will tell us that they were made up of valiant men who carried shield and sword and drew the bow. They were expert in war. We are told that the least of their warriors was a match for a hundred soldiers from the from the opposing armies, and the greatest of their warriors were a match for a thousand. These guys, they were the Navy SEALs of the ancient world. These were the special forces. These were the ones you wanted on your side. These were warriors. We see very, the next tribe, the tribe of Asher. If Dan and Gad are marked by war, Asher is marked by prosperity. His name means happy and his blessing is reflective of that. Bread or Asher's food, bread from Asher, will be rich and shall yield royal dainties. That is, his his prosperity will make it so that he, he has food that is fit for kings, royal delicacies, lavish, luxurious food. Where Asher dwells, he will be particularly prosperous. Moses repeats this blessing in Deuteronomy chapter 33 saying, most blessed of the sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze and as your days so shall your strength be. The tribe of Asher was an incredibly prosperous tribe. Fruitful, bountiful, abundant. We see the tribe of Naphtali next is just given a couple of lines. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. And here there is some interpreters will go back and forth about what is being said. Is it a, is it a deer that is let loose or is it a vine that is spreading over the wall with its shoots being bountiful, or is it a a deer that is let loose who uses or bears beautiful fawns? There is different ways, but no matter what you look at, no matter what way you look at it, what is clear is that two ideas are implied here. One, a deer let loose, the picture of freedom. Naphtali dwelling to the far north, their tribe, which will dwell to the far north of Israel, they were a tribe marked by their freedom and they bear beautiful words or they, they have many, they have many uh, baby deer, uh, fawns, uh, deer let loose. They are a picture of prosperity and peace. 
And then at the very end, we see the blessing that is given to the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning. He shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. The picture is one of ferocity. He is a ravenous wolf. He is a fierce tribe. He is one that will tear their prey apart. This is not the tribe that you want as your enemy. And so successful are they in battle, so successful that they are prosperous. We are this picture that this ravenous wolf is in the morning he shall devour the prey. Wolves hunt at night. But there is so much food that he, his hunt has been so successful that he is consuming it in the morning. And it is still so successful that even in the evening he is able to divide that food up amongst other wolves. This is a terrible and terrifying foe to have. And the tribe of Benjamin will prove this to be true. Again and again, we are told that Benjamin is a tribe of warriors. On one occasion, we are told that they have, they are noted for their left-handed warriors who slung stones with slings. Try saying that ten times fast. They slinging stones, but we are told that they were able to sling these stones at their enemies at a great distance without missing a hair. These are the warriors. These are snipers. These are dangerous warriors in the ancient world. And the history of Benjamin marks that out. They were often at war, often producing fine and great warriors. And yet, with all of these blessings, you would think there is success. Here is strength. Here is power. There is prosperity. Surely the people of God, these tribes, are going to reap mountains of blessing. Surely they are going to be at peace with God and they are going to have success in the land of Canaan. And yet for all of this bright future, which seems to be on the horizon, when we trace out each tribe's history through the passage, through, through the pages of Scripture, we, found that it is, we find that it is anything but that. These tribes fail again and again in a variety of ways. They fail to take the land that God has given them. Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Benjamin, all of them fail to root out the enemies. Dan himself, we are told, he he gives up while the other tribes are at least able to get some kind of foothold in the region that they have been given, Dan gives up and he flees to the far north where he settles somewhere else. At other times, they fail to use the power that they have been given by God to help other tribes. When the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon are hard-pressed, And they call out for Dan and Asher to join with them in the battle. Both Dan and Asher hang back. Not willing to sacrifice themselves to serve their brothers. Not only that, they sometimes use their strength against one another. During the period of the judges, we are told of the tribe of Dan, which bullies 
various members of other tribes to get what it wants. At one point, it finds a Levite, a priest, and it, and it takes him from another house, threatening to kill anyone who stands in their way. Benjamin is a, a terrible example of this. One who uses the, the strength that God has blessed him with in ways that are counter to what God commands. In Judges 19 to 20, we have this terrible record of a man entering into a town in the tribe of Benjamin. And when he goes into this town, there is no place for him to stay. And so he's getting ready to camp out in the town square before he makes his journey on that day. But an old man comes from the field and sees him there. And he realizes this guy is in danger. And so he invites him in, come into my home. And the man says, no, it's okay. You don't need to put me up. I can stay here. And the man, sensing that this is a a problem, urges him even more strongly. No, you must come. And that night, in a scene very much like what we find in the book of Genesis, in Sodom and Gomorrah, The men, the Benjamite men from this town, gather together, pound on the door of this old man, and insist that he deliver his guest to them so that they might know him, so that they might assault him sexually. And that man doesn't come out. Instead, what he does, he gives these men, and this tells you how far down the people of God fall during the period of the judges, This man gives them his wife. And all night, she is abused and tormented and assaulted. And the next morning, he comes out and he finds her on the steps to this man's house. And rather than caring for her, he tells her, get up, it's time to go. But she is dead. And this man takes her and he he alerts all the other tribes of what has happened. And all the other tribes realizing the depravity that is now in their midst, they gather for war. This is such wickedness. This cannot endure. And rather than handing over the guilty party, rather than admitting wrongdoing, the people of the tribe of Benjamin stand up and they go to war. And we are told that over a period of two days, they kill tens of thousands of the other tribes of Israel. This is not just a, this is not a bright future. This is a a disappointing future. Here they are taking the very strength and the prosperity and the power and the blessing that God has given them. And they are using it for their own ends. And you and I, we have been given many gifts. Perhaps you have a a good job. We have been given good relationships. Friends, family, spouses, children, parents. Perhaps we have sufficient income. Perhaps we have been... Perhaps we think we are are a hard-working kind of person. Energetic, kind, skilled, knowledgeable, wise. Perhaps we were raised in a Christian home and we we have an intimate familiarity with the Bible. That is its own great blessing. And yet, 
how terrible it is when we, like the people of Israel, like these tribes, take these blessings and we turn them for our own good. When we spurn them, when we spit upon the God who has granted them to us. Jacob feels, even as he is blessing his sons with these blessings and assuring them that they will have power, that they will have prosperity, that they will be strong, that they will be successful in war, even as he assures them, he, we get a sense that he himself recognizes that their, their place before God is tenuous at best. That they are weak and that they, are, they need the Lord. We might say that they are desperate for him. We get a sense of this desperation in verse 18. In the middle of this blessing, in the middle of his blessings, Jacob departs from blessing and he gives this prayer. The New King James Version translates it as a a statement. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. But it might be better to say, "I, I wait, I am now waiting. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Here at the very center of these blessings, Jacob is recognizing something. That no matter what God has given us, we are absolutely and always desperately dependent on God. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. I wait for it now. And this is the very first time in the entire Bible that we are given this word, salvation. It's the very, very first time it occurs in all of Scripture. Here in this context, Jacob is seeing how absolutely dependent his sons and their tribes are upon God. No matter what blessings they may have and no matter what blessings we may have, we wait upon God for his salvation. And it is in the tribe of Joseph, Joseph himself being the chief example of one who has waited and trusted in God for his salvation. Look with me at verse 22. Joseph is a a fruitful bow, a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine by a well. His, his branches run over, um, run over the wall. He is fruitful. He is prosperous. And yet, here's this conflict. The archers have bitterly grieved him. They have shot at him and hated him. We know this to be true from Joseph. He, his brothers, despite Joseph's promise that he would rule, that his brothers and his family would one day bow before him, despite the promise, the the prophecy that was given to him that he would stand at the head. His brothers betrayed him. They sell him to slavery. And for decades he suffered. And yet, we are told, verse 24, but his bow remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd 
the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. Here, Jacob is blessing Joseph, and he is recognizing Joseph has already received He is is already an example of one who has, through trial and through conflict, remained steadfast and faithful to God. And we are told where Joseph's hope is. And Joseph's hope was to be the same hope of the tribes of Israel, of all the tribes of Israel. And it is to be our hope today. Where, does these, where do these blessings go? Where does the strength come from for Joseph? By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. The mighty one of Jacob. Psalm 20 verse 7 says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And James Montgomery Boyce commenting on this passage, says that if if Jacob had been more impressed with himself, perhaps he would not have been so impressed with with his own need, but Jacob was not impressed with his own strength. He was impressed by the mighty God, is the mighty God of Jacob, the mighty one of Jacob, the one who helps Joseph, and the one who will help the people of Israel, and the one who will help us is the mighty one. The one whose power never runs out. The one who alone protects and provides. He protected and he provided and he sustained Joseph through all trials. And he will protect and provide for his people. This is the mighty one that we look to. From there is the second title that is given. From there is the shepherd. Jacob himself had been a shepherd. When they came to Israel, they were able to secure the land of Goshen by saying, we are shepherds. They are familiar with the task of shepherding. And the Lord here is referring to himself as the shepherd These men would have been familiar with the difficult task of caring and watching over sheep night and day. Cold nights, hot days. They would have been familiar with the frustrations that come along with with sheep. Constantly wandering, constantly ignoring the calls of the shepherd, constantly having to be tended to, to be chased down, to be rescued from all sorts of obvious peril. And this is exactly what Jacob says God is and what he does. He is the shepherd. Jacob himself has experienced this at God's own hand. Jacob himself, who rebels like a sheep, wanders far from God. And yet God, in his mercy and in his patience, pursues him Loves him. And it is this image that is picked up through scripture. David himself will write Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And Christ picking up this image in the New Testament will tell us and assure us that He is the Good Shepherd. And He as the Good Shepherd, He lays down His life for the sheep. God is our, He is our Mighty One. He is the one who oversees and controls. He is the one who is powerful, and yet he is the one who nurtures and loves. He is the shepherd. Not only is the shepherd, he is the stone of Israel. We might have expected Jacob to use the word rock here instead of stone. Instead, you'll, in, indeed, you'll have some translations that will say he is the rock of Israel. But the word here is stone, not rock. God, our rock, hits a little differently than stone, doesn't it? God, our rock, speaks of his being a refuge, a place of power and strength, of safety. God of stone... God being the stone has has a different idea. I wonder if what was coming through Jacob's mind at this point was his memory of the time when he was in that place of Bethel and he had made a stone, a pillow. And upon that stone he saw the ladder descending from heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the staircase. I wonder if Jacob here is speaking more prophetically. He is speaking of the stone of Israel. Isaiah 28, 16 will pick this up. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And Psalm 118 tells us, speaking of Christ, speaks of the stone that the builders rejected becoming a stone of stumbling to those who reject him. The Lord is the shepherd. From him comes the stone, that chief cornerstone, the one in whom all the people of God fit together. The Lord is the mighty one. He is the shepherd. He is the stone of Israel. More than that, we are told he is the God of your Father, by the God of your Father. Notice he doesn't say by the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac, but the God of your Father, that is my God. And the God of Abraham would make sense. I mean, Abraham had received direct communication from God, direct promises from God. Abraham had faithfully followed God, maybe not perfectly, but faithfully followed the Lord. He was willing to sacrifice his son if the Lord would so command it. He left home and family and nation and tribe to go to the land that God had called him to. Isaac Isaac, too, had lived faithfully, but Jacob? Jacob had not lived righteously. And from the very earliest time of his life, Jacob was a deceiver, a trickster, always out for himself, always trying to get ahead by his own skill, his own wisdom, his own cunning. 
And yet, he is the God of your father. The God by whom, the God who has made great promises and the God who has shown himself to be faithful to to those promises. And he is the Almighty. By the God of your father who will help you and by the Almighty. And all through the book of Genesis, this, this title, the Almighty, speaks of God's sovereignty, his providential control over all things. But here, it is not God's sheer power and sovereignty, but it is this idea it is coupled with blessings of heaven and blessings above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. Here is this, this picture of nurturing care and love. Here is the Almighty One who bends His sovereign power for the good of His people. And here we have, in verse 26, Jacob's own testimony. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. The blessings of your father, Jacob, have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Despite the fact that Jacob had lived for most of his life in rebellion against God, for much of his life in rebellion against God, despite the fact that even when he had returned to the Lord, he did not follow him faithfully, but faultingly, despite the fact that he raised his sons and often made terrible mistakes, being silent when he should have spoken up. Yet he is able to say, the blessings of your father, the blessings that I experience, they are greater than the blessings of Abraham and Isaac. That is, he is seeing more of the blessings of God in his life than Abraham or Isaac saw in theirs. Jacob is here reveling in God's mercy. He is the mighty one. He is the shepherd. He is the stone. He is the the almighty God. He is the God of your fathers and he is the merciful one. Jacob here is banking everything and teaching us where we are to put our hope. His sons, his tribes, their descendants, gifted with immense blessings, power, and strength, and prosperity. And Jacob wants them to know here at the outset, just as he wants us to be reminded, that our hope is not in us, our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is not in what we can do with what we have. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own blessings, our own prosperity, our own bank account, or our own security. Our hope, our confidence remains in the Lord. It remains in God. It remains in our mighty one, our shepherd, our stone. And the question that you have to ask and answer today is, where is your hope?
Are we still clinging to the illusion that we can make our lives successful and meaningful? That we can bring about the blessing that we so desire if we will work hard enough, if we will apply ourselves, if we will think it through, if we will get enough knowledge and education, if we will just have enough money, then, oh, then we would experience blessing. Are we still under the illusion that that our ability to come to God is in any way predicated on our own goodness, on our own religiosity, on our own frequency of listening to God's word or reading it or praying or activity for him? As if our activity will somehow cancel out our debt, our record, our guilt, our shame. What Jacob is calling the tribes, his sons to do, to be reminded of, is that they, despite all that they are being blessed with, all that they are being promised in the future, they are to submit themselves wholly and entirely to the Lord. They are to see in him that he alone is the one who gives salvation. It is through him alone that we are provided for and strengthened. It is not in our ingenuity, it is not in our creativity, it is not in our own ability or wisdom. It is not in our goodness. God is not impressed with us. It is only through the Lord And here Jacob is speaking prophetically. He is looking forward to that stone, to that shepherd who is to come. From there, the shepherd will come. From there, from the Lord, the stone of Israel. And while he looks forward, we today, we look back. We look on the shepherd who has come. The one who has come and in coming, he has died for us. So that we might now live for him. So that we might now approach him boldly, gladly. With assurance that he loves us. With assurance that he forgives us. With assurance that he will hear us. Jacob's hope is in God. His hope is in the Lord. Where is our hope today? Where is your hope? Jacob is looking at what is to come for his sons and their descendants. And Moses is writing this to the people of Israel as they are about to enter into the land of Canaan. Conflict is on the horizon. Where is the conflict that is in your life? Is it turmoil in the family? Is the conflict mainly, primarily financial? As you are feeling, like many of us, feeling that squeeze? Wondering, God, where where are you in this? 
Where, where will the money come from? Where do we turn to? When it seems that the lights of life have dimmed and gone out. Friends, the one we hope in is not in ourselves. It is not in what we have or what we hope to have if we will but apply ourselves even more. The hope for the future is the hope that we have for today. It is Christ. It is our God. The Almighty. The Shepherd. The stone, the rock that is higher than I. Look to him today. Remember him. Call out to him. Both with faith and with confidence. Both with joy and with sorrow. Look to the Lord. It is he who has done much for us and will do much for us again. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we so often look to other things, looking to what we ourselves have, what skills, what abilities, what blessings may exist in our lives. We are prone to wander from you, O Lord. using the very gifts that you give us to rebel against you. Oh God, forgive us. Grant us repentance today. Grant us eyes to see and hearts that delight and hold fast to you. That we may be anchored in you no matter what conflict may come. Knowing, O oh God, that you are our shepherd. Knowing that you are our mighty one. Knowing that you are our God in Christ Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.